Pediatrician is a podcast of the Alabama chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics, designed to bring the latest news and updates in child health to pediatricians across Alabama. We'll be covering a range of topics from advocacy and practice management to mental health and injury prevention and everything in between. So whether you're a pediatrician in Birmingham or Mobile, in Pine Level or Slap Out, this podcast is for you. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Alabama Pediatrician Podcast. I'm your co-host today, Dr. Kim Middleton, Area 1 representative of the Alabama chapter of the AAP. And I'm Dr. John McClendon, the Area 6 representative. Today's episode of the podcast is a recap of the recent spring meeting of the Alabama AAP that was held in Gulf Shores. We were really lucky to have some really perfect weather in a wonderful location and a great conference. We wanted to do a roundtable discussion highlighting some of the things that we learned through some of the really interesting lectures and also talk about the many resources that were available to pediatricians in the state that we learned about through a large number of exhibitors who were present. Yeah, between our exhibitors and our lectures, I learned a lot of new information for better medical practices and also for resources for patients and their families. So here to join us today are Dr. Megan Carpenter and Dr. Norma Mobley. Dr. Carpenter is a med-peds physician in the small town of Chatham, Alabama, and Dr. Mobley is a pediatrician from Mobile who is our current Alabama AAP vice president and president-elect. So welcome, you guys. Thank you so much. Hello. Thank you for having us. Actually, uh, Dr. Carpenter and I happened to bump into one another, didn't we, while we were there at the conference? We sure did. Yeah, it was great seeing you there. Did you have an awesome time? I had a wonderful time. That's why I love coming to these conferences for so that we get to come together twice a year to to catch up on things that we've missed in the last six months. Absolutely. That's right. It definitely is, at least for me, one of the major benefits is just getting to see everybody and kind of getting to see some of the mentors that I had during my medical school and residency and then getting to see some of the people I went to residency that I haven't seen in years and then getting to see some of the other people that I talked to on the phone but never get to see in person and you know I think after the COVID years it's we kind of value that being able to be around each other more than I did previously. Right I also feel like it was great to have to be around and be motivated and inspired by so many pediatricians and child advocates. Um, it, it renews that passion, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. I look forward to going to the conferences for that same reason, Dr. McClendon, um, getting a chance to reconnect and also just um, actually meeting people, meeting new people from other areas of the state, but also in your same region. And uh, networking gives you a great opportunity to network and see what other people are doing in their practices. You can share ideas. So um, yeah, thanks for having us. I'd like to say that um, there were some real big highlights during the conference for me. One of the most exciting things I think you guys will agree was our, our speaker about breastfeeding, that was like a wealth of information that we got from Dr. Lori Jones. 
No, I definitely fangirled when Dr. Jones got on the stage. Um, I am a Dr. Milk follower and have been since residency. She helped me through my own personal journey with breastfeeding. And so I agree with Dr. Mobley that that was probably one of the highlights because unless you're a breastfeeding mother and you've been there yourself, often it's difficult to give that type of advice to others. And even when you have done it yourself, it's hard to give some of those practical tips to mothers, especially in very quick clinic encounters. I learned an awful lot that I've already been able to apply since I returned back here to clinic. I agree. For someone who doesn't have kids, you know, I feel only mildly proficient in family education on breastfeeding. Um, And so her talks, as well as the resources she gave us about websites and resources to check out, um, I'm definitely going to be on those websites a lot to, to learn more. But I also enjoyed Dr. McClendon's talk on neonatal hyperbilirubinemia because I think your reminder that light level for a newborn is so far from carnictorous level right. um, that it really puts things into perspective, knowing that there is some wiggle room to be able to encourage and continue to support breastfeeding. Right. Absolutely. And I think in this day and age where the advent of home phototherapy is much more difficult to obtain just because companies are not supplying that anymore. These new guidelines will allow the family unit to be able to stay together. And Dr. McClendon and I actually had this conversation about six months ago. It was before I was fully aware of the new recommendations. And um, he and I had this conversation. He said that he would be presenting it. So I think there's a lot of us who um, the new guidelines, it's going to take a while for us to get used to it um, when we're kind of stuck in our ways. Absolutely. Um, it, it makes me know now we can kind of step back and not get so excited over the numbers. And um, I have to admit, I'm one of those people who have in the past told the parents, go ahead and allow some natural sunlight exposure. And I'm sure there are many of our listeners, fellow pediatricians who have repeatedly given that advice. So I was thankful to get that information from you. I do appreciate that. And just to clarify, the new guidelines state that while we do actual research that sunlight helps with jaundice, the risk of sunburn outweighs any benefits. And so they explicitly recommend against doing that. And as we know, it does tend to get a little warm from time to time here in Alabama. (laughs) But I really did enjoy giving that talk and doing all the research to prepare for it. It was quite fascinating. You would think if there's anything as pediatricians that we just absolutely have nailed down and researched and tested and true, it would be jaundice and how to manage it. And then just kind of finding out that really we haven't. It may not quite be the case. Yeah. Cause I know, you know, we were talking about with breastfeeding when, when I had my, my wife had our, I did not have our children. My wife had them, but when we were in the hospital, um, we had a really hard time you know, starting breastfeeding and they both required phototherapy. And so it was a, it was a stressful time. So I kind of have that understanding from both a pediatric perspective and a parent perspective that sometimes it's just really tempting to try to quote, fix things by supplementing or giving formula. And I think the increased threshold from these new guidelines make it a little bit easier not to just jump to that. And I used to think that if a baby was close to phototherapy level, that they were close to something really bad happening. And now I understand that that phototherapy level is really just the first warning sign. 
but you're still a long way from Kernicterus, which is exceedingly rare. And as long as you follow these new guidelines and the follow-up guidelines, which some people think are still a little bit overcautious, but the chances of something bad happening are mm-hmm. almost non-existent. Right. And that really does give us the opportunity to focus on providing good breastfeeding support and reassuring parents mm-hmm. and doing what's in the best interest of the baby, not necessarily what's the most convenient. Right. 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 Well, another thing, you know, last month we did send out a uh, survey to our members in the, in the chapter and Hats off to Dr. Heidi Custodio, our CME chair. She was spot on. Like, I don't know how she had the foresight, but like the presenters were right in sync with what the respondents gave us as far as the interest level for topics like the orthopedic uh, topics. We had two orthopedic presenters. We uh, talked about mental health. That was really high on the list. Correct. Um, so, and congratulations to her too on her new position with the, uh, national CME. Yeah. It's like she was psychic during this conference or something. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) But I, as as someone who is inpatient and, and as a hospitalist, like I really appreciated that the topics were relevant to both, both inpatient and outpatient pediatrics. Absolutely. And speaking of um, Dr. McDonald's talk on um, orthopedic conditions and obesity, there has been so much new information over the last several months, um, starting with the AAP's new obesity guidelines that came out in January um, about treating obesity in children. And now that we have several agents that we can utilize to treat obesity, I think it was really cool for me, um, who I, I do a lot of pediatric and adult weight loss and have a special interest in obesity management seeing his perspective and how pathophysiologically, how we've always known that there's been leptin resistance in in obesity and how that actually um, affects the bones. Honestly, I'd never really thought about it all that much because we always think about diabetes, hypertension, and lipid problems, but not so much orthopedic conditions in children this age. Can I just say how affected I was by his slide that just talked about how our children have a lower life expectancy than us due to the increase in obesity and then the comorbidities associated? I know, right? Oh, my God. I um, I thought that was one of the more fascinating talks. And, you know, I, I went into it as a pediatric hospitalist myself. We don't necessarily treat obesity, you know, they're in the hospital for just a short period of time, usually for some other reason. And um, I don't really do orthopedic stuff very often. So I was like, oh, I'll just kind of zone out on this one. But I thought it was fascinating mm-hmm. just from mm-hmm. everything that ties together. And we are going to have him on a future podcast, Dr. Um, Tyler McDonald. So um, be looking for that one. I think you will learn a tremendous amount of things that you might already feel like you have a good grasp on, but there is plenty of new information that will probably change the way you do things. Oh, that's going to be a good one to tune in. Speaking of which, I'm super excited that we were able to announce the launching of the podcast at the meeting and we were met with a lot of enthusiasm and we have a whole lot of podcast ideas lined up already um, with as John said, a lot of in-depth episodes uh, related to topics mentioned. 
Does anybody have any other specific things that were they thought were really good? I was just going to mention that we had a couple of our chapter champions present during uh, during the conference, and they were they had exhibits set up in the exhibit hall. Dr. Madeline Blanchard had an exhibit with suicide prevention. I don't know if you guys had an opportunity to stop by her table, but she had a lot of um, information there, and she had pins to give out. Um, I want to say. Um, we also had our disaster preparedness champion there, didn't we? Is that um, Dr. Dr. Stubblefield, West Stubblefield? Dr. West Stubblefield, right. And, um, of course, Dr. Wallerson was there. And our Reach Out and Read has been doing phenomenal through throughout the state as well. So that program has really been doing wonderful. Yeah, I felt like all the exhibits were really relevant and I learned a lot from them and just being able to make those contacts with some of the local agencies that were there and for some of the resources, especially in places like where I live in in a very rural and underserved community um, where I'm the pediatrician that covers for four counties, being able to make those relationships in a face with our local children's rehab and some of the other services was um, super beneficial. And I'm so glad to hear you say that, um, Dr. Carpenter, because a lot of times I know for myself in years past when I was in practice alone, I often felt like, oh, I can't really afford the time to break away from practice, from the clinic to go to a conference. But really, I hope those that are listening that you will find that you can come back with so much more information that will have a positive impact on your patient population that you'll find that your time was very well spent. Also to, to mention the networking that we already talked about, getting a chance to interact with your fellow colleagues and sharing information that's also beneficial for your practice. Kind of in that same um, regard, one of the talks that I found kind of interesting and very hopeful was Commissioner Boswell. Um, who is the commissioner of the Alabama Department of Mental Health, talking about how they are trying to unite all the various mental health um, clinics and you know organizations around the state into one. And they talked about um, an app that would link all those resources so that people can find them. Because as we all know, and I know this was part of the survey, mental health is probably the most lacking of resources that we have in the state and maybe the most necessary at this time. So um, her talk, which I'm hoping she'll be a guest on our podcast fairly soon, just about trying to establish that and, and how that has been going. And, you know, we, to, we hope to talk to her because talking about ultimately introducing a bill that would help fund this initiative um, was just fascinating to me. And speaking of that app, so it's called Connect Alabama, and it has mental health resources, not only for medical providers, but also for families. You should download it. It's I've checked it out, and it's really easy to use, and it's pretty awesome. And the other resource was the um, Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. So if you call 988, you'll get directed to a crisis line, um, especially in, in times of if a patient or someone is going through um, suicidal ideations is it would be a really great resource for them. That's awesome. Thanks for remembering that. Uh, I, 
I forgot what the name of the app is, so that's awesome. And that phone line, that's really good too um, for including that. I'm I'm always amazed by all the family and developmental resources that the Alabama Partnership for Children has available and also all the hard work that the Alabama Department of Public Health does. Um, I feel like every time we have these meetings is there's more information about you know, a new test that the newborn screen has or some new resource for families. Um, just lots of things to help our families in Alabama. I also um, had some great takeaways from the non-clinical, I guess you would say, speakers. Um, you know, Chip's talk on, do I work with the wrong people? You can always take some notes there and go back to the office and just walk around and see, you know, what kind of things am I doing that aren't the best and how can I tidy up here? And also, I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce his name correctly, but Dr. Jake Kleinmahan or Kleinmahan? Kleinmahan. I had to ask him three times. Okay, so yeah, um, I was really touched by his presentation on um, about health equity or inequities. And every time someone speaks about anything on the DEI subjects, I, it makes me become more introspective. And I look inside to, you know, really see where I have something to grow. It's so easy for us to point our fingers and say that someone else is the problem or there's another source for the reason that something is happening. But often we need to, you know, look in the mirror and, and search within ourselves first to see what we need to change. And I think that's what I took away most from his talk. Absolutely. I agree. Dr. Mobley had mentioned uh, Chip Hart. He um, has he works for a company that basically helps give advice to pediatric um, offices, and I I got to know him over the weekend and really enjoyed meeting him. And um, he gave his talk entitled "Do I Work with the Wrong People?" And I always talk. You can tell which talks are the most meaningful or the mo draw the most interest because they're the ones that have the most people around them after they finish. And he must have had about 25 or 30 people just waiting in line <laughs> to talk to him. And you could just see when he was talking that people were nodding their heads. So maybe we can get him on here or get his references on there in case you have some issues with your pediatric practice that aren't going as smoothly as you would like them to. I think he would be somebody that could give some good advice on that subject as well. His, his talks are always so entertaining. Oh my gosh, that was awesome. My husband is always so gracious um, to come to these conferences with me and he is a local high school football coach. And so I was actually able to come away with some advice for him this time, uh, thanks to our discussion on ACL injuries. Uh, so he for once, he for once was excited for me to get home from a lecture to be able to um, tell him how he can protect his boys a little bit and um, have some longevity for his players. <laughs> yeah, so we had a great lecture by um, Dr. Slaughterbeck. Yeah, and he um, he had done some fascinating studies in uh, where was it? Was it Norway? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, about ACL tears and just. It was great, and it came up with a 
fairly ingenious pre-warm-up routine and just just not only the does it work but you know does it prevent injuries but trying to get people to do those kind of things and prevention you know sometimes prevention is way harder than fixing something but it's you know really important too absolutely absolutely uh, and I do also want to uh, add to other lectures, um, Dr. Poole from UAB talking about uh, syphilis and HIV management and, and detection. Um, I mean, when whenever we have a patient or a mother who comes in in labor and, you know, is possibly syphilis um, positive, I mean, we always have to reconsult the red book and figure out what tests we're supposed to do. But her, her lecture was very helpful and it broke everything down so simply. Um, I'm actually working on uh, spreading her information to my colleagues to um, help uh, manage that as well. I think that's one of the big things I noted too, was that I have always thought you get a maternal syphilis test and an HIV test that you know, during a certain time during pregnancy. And if it's negative, then you just kind of say, okay, it's negative, but correct me on this, Kim, if I'm mistaken, but she says you're supposed to get those at least several times during the pregnancy and at the time of birth. Is that correct? That's what she said. Mm-hmm. You do it at, uh, at first prenatal visit and then at 28 to 32 weeks and then at delivery. I don't think I've worked at a place where we would repeat you know, especially the HIV test right at birth. We do with RPR, but not necessarily the HIV test. And that was interesting for sure. Right. I always enjoy our team-based lectures wherever we get to work as a team and to try to implement some strategies for an issue. And we had that great lecture on how to improve team vaccine rates and being able to sit with other members at our table and the table I was at. We had five different practices that were represented. So to be able to get their ideas on what their typical flow is for vaccines and how they approach vaccine hesitancy so that we could kind of brainstorm all together on that, I thought that was wonderful. Unfortunately, I think that's going to be something that is going to be getting more and more common. And right. so having those ideas and ties to help that, I think, is really important. I noticed that in people who were in their study, their research, that they showed that practices that were part of the collaborative had almost twice the rate of HPV vaccination that non-members of the collaborative have, which I thought was pretty remarkable especially giving it at an earlier age. They had a higher um, percentage of completion of the HPV vaccine series. Yeah, it was just very, um, not hypothetical, but very real-time advice, very real-life advice that, you know, I think has proven to help quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Which that's one of the great benefits of all of the ACHEA projects that is another plus, you know, with your membership through the AAP. Um, and we, they're always going to have um, different projects rolling around that practices throughout the state collaborate on. And um, you can also get MOC from that as well. Absolutely. That growth hormone talk by Dr. Perez Garcia was really great too, talking about undernutrition and, and other causes of short stature, not just your familial versus, you know, growth hormone deficiency. 
a still another topic that is very applicable to everyone's everyday practice. I just had um, a child today and I thought, you know, so you say the first thing is, did they take their shoes off? But I actually literally had a patient that grew six inches in 12 months and she is seven and she's already um, full stage two puberty. So of course there's a referral in the works for her, but um, yeah, I was swiftly taken back to the talk from the uh, lecture that she gave during the conference. I definitely think the practicality of the information at the conference, it's just stuff that you use on a daily basis was one of the most beneficial things about it. But to me, what may even be more beneficial, um, you know, when you're kind of in practice by yourself or you're even when you're in practice with other people, but you're just the one going in to see the patients every day or when you're practicing like I do in a community hospital and I'm the one that's on call, it can get a little isolating. And this was just a fantastic way to not only see people again, but just notice that it's discouraging that it sometimes can seem to practice in Alabama where sometimes our resources are not great. Man, there are a lot of people fighting really hard and we and we have a you know a, a good public health program and we have a good Medicaid program and we have people in both of those and in our AAP chapter that are just really, really, really fighting hard for the children of our state. And you know, I, I think that's why we all became pediatricians in the first place. If we certainly didn't do it because it's the most financially rewarding you know, area of medicine, um, but just to help children and just seeing that there are other people that want to do that and are passionate about it. It was wonderful. Yeah, it definitely energizes you and, and motivates you and, and reminds you what you're there for and, and it, what, why you became a pediatrician. Absolutely. Well, thank you, uh, Dr. Carpenter and Dr. Mobley for joining us. Um, this is a great discussion. I hope people enjoy it. A lot of these things that we've talked about will be future podcasts. Um, so if you have any questions, there's a link in the description to get in touch with us, especially if you have other ideas as well. Uh, we're, we are open to any kind of good ideas that you think would be beneficial as a pediatrician in the state. And for those of you listening, thank you for joining us and helping us to share how wonderful the spring meeting was. And be sure to join us for the annual meeting, September 8th to 10th at Ross Bridge in Birmingham. Looking forward to seeing you there. Hopefully this is enticing you to come join us. Yeah. And thank you so much for joining us. We'll definitely have to have you guys back. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, thank you.